Check, check. One, two, check. Mic's on. From the world of education to you, my name is Dr. A. Our show is all about finding your voice by connecting our community through collaboration. Welcome back to another edition of Mike's On. This is episode 49. And rather than have a guest today, we're going to do another little excerpt from a book. Our district, the Rockwood School District, is actually doing something called the One Read, where our whole district community participates in reading a book. And this uh, book is entitled Stamped. Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. So we're going to just take a quick gander at chapter 27, A Bill Too Many. Want to know something incredible and strange and both surprising yet not surprising at all? Scientific evidence that the races are 99.9% the same was brought forth on June 26, 2000. The year 2000 was when people were given scientific evidence that human beings were the same despite the color of their skin. Isn't that wild? Bill Clinton delivered the news as if it were news. But Craig Venter, one of the scientists responsible, was more frank than Clinton in how he spoke about it. The concept of race has no genetic or scientific basis, Venter said. His research team at Solera Genomics had determined the genetic code of five individuals who were identified as either Hispanic, Asian, Caucasian, or African American. And the scientists could not tell one race from another. But there was one-tenth percent still out there, and that one-tenth percent difference between humans must be racial. Whether it is or isn't, it was going to be exploited by racist scientists who did everything they could to provide evidence that the races were biologically different. First curse theory and polygenesis and now genes. Racists were relentless. But they didn't get much traction. Months later, the United States report to the United Nations Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination pointed out what was now the broken U.S. race record. There had been substantial successes, but there were significant obstacles remaining. It was September 2000, and Texas Governor George W. Bush was pledging to restore honor and dignity to the White House, while Vice President Al Gore was trying to distance himself from Bill Clinton's impeachment scandal. The report's findings of discrimination and disparities across the American board did not become campaign talking points as they reflected poorly on both the Clinton administration and the Republicans' colorblind America. Science says the races are biologically equal, so if they're not equal in society, the only reason why can be racism. And it played out again in the law a few months later, when tens of thousands of black voters in Governor Jeb Bush's Florida were barred from voting or had their votes destroyed, allowing George W. Bush to win his brother's state by fewer than 500 votes. This racist act would end up leading George W. Bush to the presidency. But once in office, he also couldn't stop the anti-racist momentum. The reparations conversation had kicked into high gear, and nearly 12,000 women and men ventured to beautiful Durban, South Africa, for the United Nations World Conference Against Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia, and Related Intolerance, held from August 31st to September 7th, 2001. Delegates passed around a report on the prison industrial complex and women of color that had been co-authored by Angela Davis. They also identified the internet as the latest mechanism for spreading racist ideas, citing the roughly 60,000 white supremacist sites and the racist statements so often made in comment sections 
following online stories about black people. The United States had the largest delegation and anti-racist Americans established fruitful connections with activists from around the world, many of whom wanted to ensure that the conference kicked off a global anti-racist movement. As participants started venturing back to Senegal, the United States, Japan, Brazil, and France, around September 7, 2001, they carried their anti-racist momentum around the world. And then it all came crashing down, literally, September 11, 2001. After about 3,000 Americans heartbreakingly lost their lives in attacks on the World Trade Center, on the Pentagon, on United Airlines Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania, President Bush condemned the evildoers, the insane terrorists, all the while promoting anti-Islamic and anti-Arab sentiments. Colorblind racists exploited the raw feelings in the post-9-11 moment, playing up a united patriotic America, where anyone who wasn't waving a flag was in fact an enemy to the country. But there was no united front, not in the broad scheme of things. Affirmative action was still being challenged, and no one wanted to grapple with the fact that the issue with education could be better dealt with if the racial preferences of standardized testing were eradicated. But the use of standardized testing grew in K-12 schooling when the Bush administration's bipartisan No Child Left Behind Act took effect in 2003. The premise was simple. Set high goals and test often to see if those goals are being met and then fund the schools based on those results. And though it was called No Child Left Behind, it actually encouraged mechanisms that decreased funding to schools when students were not making improvements, thus leaving the neediest students behind. It once again put the blame on black children and black teachers and public schools, not on racist policies. And the worst part is that black assimilationists bought in once more. People like Bill Cosby, who blamed black parents. The lower economic people are not holding up their end in this deal. These people are not parenting, Cosby said in Washington, D.C., after being honored at an NAACP gala in May 2004. They are buying things for kids. $500 sneakers. For what? And they won't spend $200 for hooked-on phonics? I am talking about these people who cry when their son is standing there in an orange suit. And while Bill Cosby took his racist ideas on the road for a speaking tour, a rising star of the Democratic Party, Barack Obama, subverted Cosby's message during his keynote address at the Democratic National Convention in Boston on July 27, 2004. Go into any inner city neighborhood, and folks will tell you that government alone can't teach kids to learn. They know that parents have to teach, that children can't achieve unless we raise their expectations and turn off the television sets and eradicate the slander that says a black youth with a book is acting white. They know those things. A booming applause interrupted Obama as his takedown of Cosby's critique settled in. Obama presented himself as a racial and socioeconomic unicorn humble beginnings and a lofty ascent, both native and immigrant ancestry, also both African and European ancestry. He checked every box. And though at the time he was campaigning for John Kerry, who would lose the election to George W. Bush, it was clear a star was born. As we work our way through this book, hopefully in the coming weeks, we will be able to have a little bit of a book talk with some of our teachers. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Mike's off. Join us in the weeks to come as we learn and grow together.